R35 GTR drag racing records are hotly contested all around the world and we're here with Tony from T1 Race with this R35 behind us that currently holds the record for the fastest GTR with stock location turbos. It's run as quick as a 701 at 207 mile an hour producing somewhere in the vicinity of about 2200 an 80 wheel horsepower on Tony's hub dyno. So we're here to find out a little bit about what goes into making a car like this so fast. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures and presented it in podcast format for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. So first of all, Tony, I just want to talk about this stock location record. At the moment we're seeing records pop up left, right and centre for R35s, but that stock location one is no joke, and the reason for this is it's really hard to fit decent sized turbos in that stock location. So what are you running in this, in this car in the way of turbos? Uh, this car has an ETS turbo kit, they call it the Pro 2100, uh, they're Precision uh, 7675 Gen 2 turbochargers. So it is still a reasonable, reasonable size turbo. What, what would that compare to if you were running a front mount kit where you're really not uh, restricted on room? What would you choose for this sort of setup? Uh, somewhere between 80 and 86 millimeter compressor. Uh, and you would go to the large frame T4 instead of the mid frame T4 housing. So a lot more turbine options. Yeah, and you're, you're restricted here really just with the room with the chassis rails and the engine block and that stock location? Yeah, so you've got the engine block and the differential and the frame rails. Um, you know, and then as far as uh, if the turbos are up front, you'd have nice ram air inlet. We've got a, you know, three foot long pipe. So we've got some inlet, uh, inlet pressure drop. So in a comparison to maybe your own car with a front mount turbo kit, this at around about 2280 wheel horsepower, what sort of power levels are you seeing out of your own car? Um, mine, the highest I had on the dyno was 2600. Um, with the power it was making on the track, I estimate 2800 or so. Um, and there, some of them are making more than that. We've got some well over 3,000. I just wanted to sort of get a, an idea of, of how much of a power restriction that, that stock location is. However, 701, and from what I understand, it, it's done a bunch of, of 70s at this point. Uh, is it safe to assume we are going to see a stock location turbo GTR into the 6s? Well, that's, that's our hope. <laughs> now, in terms of the rest of the package, obviously the turbos are only one small piece of the entire puzzle. So let's just go through broadly what's done to it. So can we talk about the engine setup? What are you running in that in that regard? Yeah, this is our, our what we call our stage six 3.8 liter engine. Uh, it's factory displacement. It's a factory cast block. Um, it's got a Sunny Bryant crank. It's aluminum rods. Um, I think we have manly pistons in this one. Um, and then our CNC cylinder heads, Tomei cams, um, AMS intake manifold. Um, and then 12 injector dynamics injectors, got to have this. Of course you've got to have injector <laughs> dynamics injectors when you are injector dynamics. Uh, I just want to dive into that block. Uh, these days we are seeing more and more of these GTRs being fitted with billet blocks and 2280 wheel horsepower on a stock cast iron blocks, no mean feat. Where do you sort of see the limit for the cast iron block and where do you have to switch over to a billet block for reliability? Uh, cast aluminum block. But sorry, sorry, my bad. Cast, cast aluminum. It's it's not 1990 anymore. Um, 
we when we started doing these, uh, started building this engine in 2010 or so, uh, coming from the Hondas where we had to sleeve all the blocks, otherwise they would crack the sleeves. And this is all aluminum, and we looked at it and went, there's no way this is going to work, right? So we jumped right in and started sleeving them. And we had nothing but problems, block failure after block failure. It removed so much material out of the block. So finally, we took a couple steps back and said, you know, we've never actually had a problem with a factory liner or anything with a factory block. So let's, let's, let's go back and let's see where we have a problem. And we haven't found that point yet. Uh, I've run the same engine on my car with the 80 millimeter turbos, 75 pounds of boost. And, uh, you know, I don't know where the limit is yet. That's impressive because I, I think a lot of people would assume that, that that's just unattainable with, with the factory block. So um, good work on, on that achievement. Uh, at that sort of power level, though, I think a lot of people also assume that if you put the best of the best into these engines, the Sunny Bryant crank, the good quality rods and pistons, uh, then you can run 28, 2200 horsepower and uh, run it all day long and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> And uh, clearly, that's not always going to be the case. What sort of reliability and maintenance schedule do you have for an engine at this sort of power level to keep it running? Um, at this level, uh, the crank is kind of our weakest link. And we're, we've got the best of the best building the best that they can. And there's just physically no room in the block to make things bigger where they need to be bigger. So <clears throat> I think the cranks actually crack pretty early on in, in the, the life of the engine. And we don't see it until we take them apart. We've had engines apart way sooner than normal for other reasons and found the cranks cracked and it's hardly been run. And uh, when before we had our head gasket issue sorted, I went over a full season on a, on a block in my car. We would just changed the head gaskets. And I never took the block apart because I knew what I was going to find. And I figured, you know, let's just run it and see how it breaks. I finally broke it. That's the only crank I've broken. And it, it ran a full season. And I think that they'll go a long time, but you, I just it's hard to bring yourself to put a, crack, a cracked crank back into an engine. I 100% agree. We actually saw that with our own 4G63 drag engine program, and uh, I, I agree. I think they do crack quite early, but uh, that in itself may not be a problem. But of course, as you say, when you pull out a crankshaft and, and you, you see it's got a crack in it, it's just about an impossibility to go and refit that part where you, you, you know that it's faulty. And chances are it may do the rest of the season, but that's a, a pretty expensive and a difficult risk to take. Right. Talking about the, the rest of that engine package as well, you've also got a dry sump system on it. Is that is that necessity for drag racing? Yeah, yeah. at this power, so the uh, there's a lot of aeration and foam in the, in the oil in the factory system. We make a deeper oil pan that helps a lot, but it, the oil pressure is still at high RPM. You'll see the oil pressure start to flutter a little bit, and it's not that we don't have enough oil pressure. It's that there's air in the oil, and so that's a problem. Um, and the, the main bearings will put up with it for quite a while at lower power level. At high power, they don't, they don't tolerate that for very long. So uh, in my eyes, anything over about 1,600 horsepower, I, I require a dry sump. Uh, another aspect with this car is that you are running a removable front clip and the whole front end is completely closed in. So obviously got something that is dedicated now to drag duty, which is just fine. Uh, problem with this, of course, is you've got no airflow for a traditional air-to-air -air intercooler, so you're running water-to-air here. Can you talk to us a little bit about the advantages with a water-to-air application, intercooler application for drag racing? Sure, so you, you get the obvious aero advantage by being able to block off the front end. Um, uh, an air-to-air -air intercooler is almost always just this big brick, so placement can kind of become a problem. 
Um, we do have a lot of room on the front of these cars, but uh, a thousand horsepower air to water intercooler is, is this big and, and the air to air is huge. So we can save weight. We get the air significantly cooler, you know, on a day like today an air to air is going to do pretty good because it's a little chilly. Uh, you go race in the middle of the summer and the air to air is going to see crazy temps and ours aren't really going to change. So it has a lot of advantages. It's, it's obviously more hassle, but it's, it's worth it. You know, it's a race car now. So in terms of that, are you running a ice water slurry through the intercooler as opposed to just plain water? Yeah, on the dyno, I usually don't even bother to put ice in it because you can do a few pulls and it's still almost room temperature and it'll cool, it'll, it'll keep the air temps below 120 degrees or so with just water in it. Obviously, if you keep running it, the water will get hotter and it won't do it as well. Um, but on the track, uh, we put ice in it. We'll see usually starting air temps of 70 degrees or so and then by the end, it gets up to about 100. So it works really well. Now, I just want to go back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier as well. You talked about until you fixed your head gasket issues. And, uh, of course, coming from an import drag racing background myself, uh, head gasket integrity on these small-capacity turbocharged engines kind of is the Achilles heel. Uh, you really are limited by how, how much boost you can put into it while still holding the head onto the block. So uh, are we allowed to know what you've done to fix that, or is that uh, sort of T1 secret sauce? Yeah, that one I'm going to keep in-house right now. <laughs> I, I can't really blame you for that. All right, let's move on to, to the rest of the car. And uh, the key with the, the R35 chassis, of course, is that GR6 uh, transaxle on the back. And uh, that's a help and a hindrance because at the sort of power levels you guys are now running, they can be a little bit challenging from what I understand. And you can talk to us about what goes into building a transmission that's reliable at this power level. Yeah, the fact that, the fact that it can even happen is impressive, right? We saw the factory castings. Um, the factory configuration, they're just upgraded gears. So you've got an upgraded differential, uh, still a factory rear ring and pinion right now. Um, all the gears are upgraded. Uh, more front-wheel drive clutch discs, upgraded input-output shafts. Um, if it's in there and it turns, it's upgraded. Um, and for the most part, it does a really good job. As the cars, as the turbos get bigger and bigger, and um, the tires get bigger, our power band shifts to the right, we get in a situation where it gets harder and harder to launch these cars because we have to spin the tire so far out because we don't have good modulation to be able to slip the clutch the distance it would need to be slipped. Um, so it's not super ideal for drag racing. And you'll see uh, the cars in like the GTR Class 2 have really small turbos, and those things are dead consistent. We've got a car that makes 1,400 horsepower and runs 770 in that class, and the car goes a 120, 160-foot on 17-inch slicks every single time no problem it's hard for me to get this thing to do that so um there's there's that and then we've also got um the gear ratios could be better so our rpm drops are pretty big for the big turbos uh that's one of the one of the big things that i went with a seven speed in mind so it's gonna keep you know it's a small engine and big turbos so we want to keep that power band narrow as well as the actual uh, in internals of that gearbox, the upgraded parts that you've just mentioned, a lot of it does come down to the programming of the TCM or transmission control module as well. So in this car, you've got the added complexity. You've got uh, an ECU controlling the engine management. You've got another transmission control module that you can also program. And then there's also the communication between the two of them. So can you just talk to us about that transmission control programming? How, how critical is that? Um, Nissan did a really good job with everything. Everything works well on its own. Um, you can get in there and manipulate things, and we're able to incre increase clutch pressures now, which is good because a year ago we were all driving through the clutch, and there was no, no more room for clutches. 
So we've got, you know, five or six bar more clutch pressure now. That hasn't been a problem. Um, silly things like the, the launch, consecutive launch limit, right? Nissan doesn't want to warranty your transmission if you're going to go launch it 10 times in a row in a parking lot. So we're able to get those limits out of the way and raise temperature thresholds and whatnot. But it's a constant battle, and it's something that uh, every day that goes on, there's more and more of a need for an aftermarket transmission controller. And um, Motec developed one a long time ago with Dodson, and the project never really got finished, and we're pushing really, really hard to get that project uh, going again because every car here that makes... 1700 plus horsepower would benefit from it so just the advantage there and getting away from that in the sand based architecture and having complete control over the way that transmission is controlled yeah same with the ecu you know they 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 do a great job of allowing you to remap things in the ecu but at the end of the day you're 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 limited and there's stuff going on that you don't know about and don't have control over so it's safe to assume that uh, when Nissan developed the R35, they probably never envisaged tuners out there around the world making 3,000-plus wheel horsepower. So it's no real disrespect to Nissan in the first place. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com free and start developing your own skills today. Uh, okay, let's move on and talk about the engine control unit. So you're running a MoTeC there, but uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the complexities of uh, tuning an engine at this level and what goes into making it reliable and work uh, for a drag application? Yeah, so uh, 10 years ago when we were playing with fuel injection, um, it was pretty basic. You tune the engine on the dyno and it's pretty much done. You know, the, It probably did boost control and some little stuff. And the complexity now is, is significantly more um, in a good way. You know, we have, we have so much control over everything. So you've got all your normal stuff that you're used to, with your, your cam timing and knock control and tuning the engine. And then you've got the communication of torque from the engine computer to the transmission computer. And then you have the transmission computer also communicating back to the engine computer when it wants a torque reduction for shifts. So it's two-way communication with everything on that. It integrates into all the factory modules in the car, uh, ABS. It's getting everything over CAN. You, you literally don't know that there's an aftermarket ECU in a car that's this advanced with so many computers and everything. It's pretty neat. Yeah, I think that, that's something that's easy to overlook is that complexity. And basically, if you just take that factory Nissan engine control unit out of here and put in any aftermarket ECU, uh, that'll be fine to run the engine, but the transmission's not going to know what's going on. You're not going to change gear. So it's important to understand that that MoTeC ECU is actually uh, specifically based for the R35 package too and make sure that all of that two-way communication still works. Now, one of the things I'm interested in talking here a, bit, a little bit about is the way you can manipulate the torque output from the engine as the car goes down the drag strip because obviously putting all of the power straight to the track in first gear is just going to end up smoking the tyres. So uh, what are your options there? What, what are your control strategies? Uh, personally, I use a combination of timer and gear-based uh, torque control. Um, you can do output shaft-based torque control. You can do vehicle speed. You can just have a switch. Um, so there's a lot of options and there's a lot of different you know ideas of, of, of what's best. But uh, I find that gear is the best because at the end of the day, the, the second the car changes a gear, you have a change in torque to the tire. So if we do speed-based, a lot of people use speed-based because of, of a past of using uh, boost versus speed. And you do want to use boost versus speed. But really what you're doing by doing that is keeping torque flat. And so this is already doing that. You're just telling it the torque. It turns up the boost relative to speed. 
So it just does all the hard work on its own. I think for those who sort of aren't following that as well, you've got to understand that uh, you've got the torque coming out of the engine, but as it goes through the gearbox, that torque is multiplied, and what we're trying to do is manipulate the amount of torque being produced at the wheels, and that's that interaction at the wheels that is really going to limit how much traction, traction we can get there. Uh, another aspect that I actually wanted to come back to, which we haven't talked about yet, which is a little unique on this car, is that you're also running a nitrous system. So can you tell us why you've added that nitrous system and maybe just a little bit about how that works? So everybody knows me. I, I've, I've never been a big fan of nitrous. Um, the reality is it, it can work well if it's all done properly. The M1 has a really neat nitrous program, um, and everything's accounted for. Everything works right. Uh, we're turbo limited, and we've run four 70s. So... <laughs> Just need that little bit extra to get you into that six second zone. Yeah, and you know I played with it a bit on the dyno, and um, it, it works. It works really well, and um, I, I I see the likelihood in the future of going up and up and up on the jets until I don't know to, until something happens. At the moment, the the system hasn't really been tested yet, so we'll see how it goes. I guess this weekend. But what size jets or how much horsepower is that nitrous adding? I've only got 100 horsepower in it right now. Um, I brought all the jets, but that's all we're running right now. All right, look, um, it's been great to get some insight into the car, Tony. Uh, we hope that we see a six-second pass out of it this weekend. And uh, for the future, once that six-second pass is uh, under its belt, are you going to go front-mount turbo kit, or are you just going to see how far you can go? I'm not sure. George has had a lot of ideas about what he wants to do and potentially putting a different trans in the car and kind of going the direction of my car, but not as extreme. You know, kind of a full chassis, rear-wheel drive, uh, different trans. Um, I don't know. This car may stay in this class, and we may build a different one to do that. Um, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, best of luck for the rest of the weekend. Thanks for the chat. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe. It's a one-stop shop when it comes to automotive education that's perfect if you want to learn how to make your car go faster, stop quicker and handle better.